live from Radio Catskill Studios in Liberty, New York. This is the local edition. I'm your host, Jason Dolt. We've got a lot of news to get to, including the biggest and fastest moving story of the week, which is this whole redistricting thing in New York. Gonna see if we can put this story to bed for a little while. It's been a busy week with a lot of updates. And we've got more news from around the Hudson Valley. So it must be Thursday in our time to check in with Philip Pantuso, managing editor of the Hudson Valley Bureau of the Times Union. Philip, welcome back to the local edition. Always good to be with you. So uh, here, here we are. This was a fast-moving story this week, uh, this uh, redistricting maps. I, I think we've talked about this a few times, but uh, again, Democrats proposed slight changes to the Independent Redistricting Commission maps uh, that were recently released, um, and everybody keeps typifying these changes as slight, uh, but they do make some changes that affect our area. Uh, what, what do you have for us? Yeah, so um, this is hopefully going to be the last time we have to talk about this for a while. But the Democrat, uh, the Democratic-controlled legislature on Wednesday approved slight alterations to the suggested maps that the state's independent redistricting commission came out with last week, in which I talked about on the show last Thursday. Um, and then those were signed by Governor Kathy Hochul into law uh, later on Wednesday. And yeah, you're right. They they don't really change much from the IRC maps. Uh, uh, of the state's 26 districts, 24 are basically untouched. Um, they, in, in our area, so the couple of things that did change are um, there are two districts on Long Island, like one of them moved, which caused a little bit of an effect for, for the other, um, which, you know, that's well outside the area that, um, that most readers and listeners are in. Yeah, closer to home, uh, the 16th Congressional District in Westchester County marginally changed in a way that could give an assist to Jamal Bowman, um, who is um, facing a primary challenge from Westchester County Executive George Lat- Latimer. Um, in the 17th District, um, the, th- those lines are not changed at all. And that was a priority for Republicans who want to give Mike Lawler, first-term representative, a fighting chance there. He's become kind of a fast-rising star in the conservative movement. He's He's been a big uh, presence on cable news. And I think they see him as someone who can hold on to a seat, even in a purple or even in a blue state, because he's, he's not a MAGA Republican. He's He's, he's fairly moderate as far as Republicans go. And so they'll be happy that uh, that, that district wasn't touched. Um, the 18th and 19th districts um, also didn't change in these Democrat maps. They, they had changed a little bit in the Independent Redistricting Commission maps, but those ended up staying, um, staying as, they, as those were drawn. So not too many changes. The, the upshot basically is that Democrats um, should be favored in 18 of the 26 congressional districts. Um, currently, Democrats hold 16 
of New York's 26 seats after Tom Suozzi was sworn in uh, earlier this month in the special election in Long Island. Um, I believe, let's see, I believe six of the districts are safe for Republicans, and then that leaves really just two that are considered toss-ups. Well, I just want to revisit something you said in there that I didn't fully realize. I just kind of want to reiterate it and make sure that I'm understanding this right, that there there were changes to New York's 18th, 19th district, pretty close to home here, and but those changes weren't because of the Democrat-led New York legislature's tweaks that they put through in recent days. Those changes were already in the bipartisan group, the IRC's suggestions. Is, is that the case? Yes. Yes. Do those, and, and I mean, you kind of gave, gave an overview, but, but specifically for those changes in the 18th and 19th, um, I don't know if you've been looking at, is there, is, does that, what does that mean for uh, regional politics or local politics in those districts, if anything? Um, they, um, let me, hold on, let me find this exactly. So, I think let, let me let me correct that slightly. So the 18th didn't change. The the 19th um, would there is a slight slight tweak to the 19th if I'm understanding this the, if I'm looking at the two maps correctly. Um, that one would the 19th would make the district look a little bit more like the current district uh, that that's you know represented by Mark Molinaro. Um, he won that obviously in 2022. But Biden won 52 percent of the vote in that district in 2020. So that's that's considered, I think, one of the toss up districts um, in in 18, currently represented by Pat Ryan. The, the Democrats didn't make any changes to that. So it's still it still leans Democrat. And I think it's considered, um, if not quite safe for Democrats, um, I think that they are more likely to win than not, but they, you know, they could have maybe tried to make some adjustment there because all of, you know, a lot of these upstate districts, especially the ones that don't incorporate any major population centers, they're really sprawling districts. And there's all kinds of ways that you can change the lines, basically, to try to make them a little more rural, a little less rural. That's what happened um, initially with New York 19. After what it means for our listening area, um, you know, I think we're going to have races that, um, at least in terms of partisan competitiveness, will feel fairly similar to what we had a couple of years ago. Um, the big difference now is that in each of these races, you have incumbents running. Um, and uh at least in the case of Mike Lawler and Pat Ryan, the incumbents in NY17 and 18, they are fairly popular within their party. Molinaro, I think, is a little bit more vulnerable, but he also has, um, you know, a district that, again, is considered a toss-up, and he's facing a challenge from a, a person he already he already beat. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's going to... You know, I think we're going to have competitive races again. Um, I wouldn't be too surprised to see the partisan makeup of these districts stay the same. I also wouldn't be surprised to see any of them flip. Um, I think the one I would be most surprised probably um, would be 
18, because again, that's a fairly safe Democratic district. Pat Ryan is broadly popular, though he has faced some criticism for um, for refusing to call for a ceasefire uh, in the war in in Gaza. And the challenger there, Alison Esposito, um, she's fairly new to the district. She just moved to Orange County, uh, I think, last year. Um, and doesn't seem to be gaining too much traction in her campaign just yet. Yeah, and we're we're talking about this in largely political terms because there are political implications. But I think you know the way that I asked you that question, I also uh, myself was forgetting to bring up some of the practical implications that do impact politics. But that is, um, folks that are living in these districts should just double check what this means for where they vote, and that's part of how and why you know we cover this here on Radio Catskill, uh, especially in Ulster County. Uh, in towns like uh, you know Marbletown, Rosendale, Saugerties, Woodstock, Schwangunk, town of Ulster, you know it's, it's good for people to to double check because again this was a redistricting process and even though most districts weren't touched, uh, districts in our neck of the woods were. Um, so as we you know continue to to wrap this up, uh, any reactions to this news that that you're following? Yeah, um, you know the the. Leaders from both parties are, I think, kind of saying what you would expect. You know, the Democrats are sort of tooting their own horn, saying that they engaged in a fair process here. And, you know, it's worth noting that um, the state constitution gives the, the created the Independent Redistricting Commission, and they're the ones who are charged with drawing these maps. It also reserves the right for the legislature to amend those maps but only by no more than a 2% alteration of the population in a given district. That's the so-called 2% rule. Democrats say that they, they, you know, painted with, with inside or painted inside those lines and that these are fair maps. And the Republicans anyway, I think are broadly satisfied because they know that um, the Democrats could have been more aggressive with their gerrymander. Um, on Wednesday afternoon, after the legislature's amended, amended maps were released, the state GOP chairman, Ed Cox, said that there is no need for further litigation because these new lines are not materially different than the 2022 congressional boundaries that were previously created by the IRC. Well, I think one line of that, that sort of echoes or points to one line of feedback I have heard from some uh, elected Republicans, which is that why did the Democratic legislature do this? They barely made any changes. Um, seems like they probably could have just gone with the IRC maps. But given that these were just very minorly tweaked, it sounds like uh, they're not going to face a court challenge and that these will be the maps that will be in place uh, until 2030. Yeah, that's that, that was my next question is would, you know, uh, do you think uh... – Republicans would sue or take this to court, uh, which is what happened in 2022. It doesn't sound like it at this point. Um, there's been some reporting that, um, you know, that there are big Republican donors who are sort of itching to take this back to court. They can't do it themselves. They, they have to, um, you know, they would have to, a Republican would have to file the lawsuit to overturn the new district lines. Um, I think the New York Times reported that, that the billionaire who helped uh, finance the party's 
successful 2022 suit was considering going back to court, but none of the state GOP representatives or party chair, party chairman who I quoted earlier or any other party leaders seem to be um, sort of spoiling for that fight right now. Yeah, I heard that, uh, you know, John Faso, who, who helped with that initial suit, has already said that, you know, not going to do that this time. Yeah. I mean, basically, I think that, uh, like, the whole point of of them trying to go to court would be to try to um, overturn what they see as aggressively gerrymandered maps and ultimately pick up more seats for Republicans. Um, you know, right now, uh, Republicans have... 10 seats, they are safe in six, and then there are two swing seats. So they would probably pick up at most one other seat if, you know, if they went through a whole court battle. Um, so, you know, it's probably not worth the, the, the millions of dollars of legal fees and, and having to potentially reschedule primaries. Right, right. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to go over this with us one more time. Hopefully one more time for the last time, at least for a while. Yeah, yeah. I hope, uh, I hope I'm not back on talking about this again next week because it will have meant that something went terribly wrong. Okay, Philip, if you don't mind, I'd like to maybe take a break now, uh, go to a break here, and then when we come back, we'll get to the other news that you've got. Sounds good. And along the lines of, you know, reactions to this redistricting process, and as we talk about, you know, uh, major gerrymandering versus only slight gerrymandering or just redistricting, there are some folks saying, like, hey, why is this happening at all that, that aren't one party or the other? And that includes the League of Women Voters in New York State. The New York State Legislature, this is a quote from the League of Women Voters, the New York State Legislature has once again undermined the intent and promise of the constitutional amendment establishing the Independent Redistricting Commission by voting down a new plan for congressional districts approved 9-1 to by the bipartisan IRC and drawing its own new district lines. And they conclude, quote, the League of Women Voters in New York State will continue to fight to further improve the redistricting process for the benefit of all New York New York voters before the next census. So there you go from New York League Women Voters put that statement out just yesterday. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. More news. You're listening to the Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Canoza Hall, featuring 22 guest rooms, a fine dining restaurant with full bar by Foster Supply Hospitality's award-winning culinary team, outdoor lakeview seating, and a full-service spa. CanozaHall.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, RiverReporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. Hello, my name is John Gordon, and I host a music show right here on WJFF called Ramble Tamble. It airs every Thursday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. I love music, and I play all kinds of different music. That's Ramble Tamble, Thursday night, 7 to 9, right here on WJFF. 
Welcome back to the local edition. I'm Jason Dole. I'm talking to Philip Pantuso from Times Union. And we're going over the news. And some of the news is that a Jewish student group at SUNY New Paltz organized an event that features guest speakers affiliated with the Israeli Defense Force. And this has sparked some protest. Philip, what can you tell us about this? Yeah, so this was an event that uh, took place yesterday afternoon um, that was initially organized by a group called Students Supporting Israel, um, which calls itself an international Zionist student movement, and it's not a recognized um, student association on campus. It was also hosted by uh, the college's Jewish Student Union, which is a recognized student association. And it brought... um, three uh, guest speakers who have served in the Israel Defense Forces, which is the state of Israel's uh, military arm. Um, and the, the one of the organizers of the event told our reporter, Maria Silva, that she thought it would be beneficial to the community to humanize these people who are so often dehumanized and uh, that seeing them in person and hearing about their experiences uh, and their stories um, would help sort of uh, change, maybe change people's perspective and show people what, uh, show folks what everybody on all sides are going through. Um, she, she specifically drew a contrast to how most um, people, including most students, of course, are experiencing this conflict, which is on social media. Um, the event was, um, or I should, I should note that these, uh, these IDF members uh, are touring across the United States right now um, with an organization called Diplo Act, um, which is uh, which is a group that uh, says it's dedicated to strengthening Israel's global image and amplifying its narrative. Um, so this is like a campaign essentially to promote a specific kind of um, image, right? Um, we. To be honest, like intern- we have some internal debates about whether or not we should cover this because it's a student-organized event on campus that was mostly being protested by students. But in the past couple of days, um, it, it, it has gotten a lot of traction on, on social media in particular, and a number of um, people were mobilizing against it. And, not just students and some faculty members, but I think a number of outsiders came to protest the event as well. The college moved it from the student union building where it was going to be to a smaller um, room called the college terrace, which only has one entrance and no kind of dedicated spaces for protesters. Um, Some protesters did get tickets. Um, This was a ticketed event as well. And uh, they unfurled banners and led and led some chants inside the room, um, kind of disrupted the presentation. They were all escorted out. Um, outside, um, there were about at least twice as many protesters gathered who were chanting and singing songs and marching and, and holding up signs. Um, that uh, there were, I think, at least about 150 um, protesters outside the building um, and, you know, a few more that were that made it inside as well. Um, despite all of this, it, everything was safe. Uh, um, there were state police, uh, county sheriff's officers, 
uh, University of Police and uh, Town of New Paltz Police were there. Um, I, I think they reported no arrests. There was no violence or anything like that. And afterward, both the organizers and the president of SUNY New Paltz um, praised everybody on both sides here for conducting a fair event um, that prioritized free speech and safety. So uh, with all the attention that this has gotten and uh, and all this response, <laughs> like, you know, many people involved with this uh, local law enforcement besides just the college, with, with all of this attention, um, does this event, how might this event and these protests, SUNY New Paltz, impact uh, the campus community and the community around the campus when it comes to the dialogue uh, uh, around such events in the future? Um, you know, that remains to be seen. Um, there have been, uh, you know, we reported on an incident uh, last year, I think it was, it may have even been in 2022, um, on SUNY New Paltz campus. Um, I, th- I think it was members from the Jewish Student Union there. A couple of people had expressed what some felt were Zionist uh, sentiments on social media. That led to a big sort of kerfuffle on campus and um, an effort to try to get some of those students uh, removed from not only the Jewish Student Union, but some classes as well. Um, and so I say that just to say that this is a tension on campus at Sunni New Paltz, like it is on probably just about every other college campus right now. Um, so, and, and, and the, the university... Um, has hosted kind of learning events and other opportunities for dialogue and education about the history of Israel and the history of Palestine as well. Um, you know, it does seem that in this case, everybody's proceeding with, with good intentions. And again, it was respectful and peaceful. So that, I think, augurs well for continued dialogue in the future. Um, but, you know, it will remain to be seen what dialogue actually occurs. Okay. And uh, another story is uh, Patricia Tarcio, New, New Windsor's court clerk, sued one of her bosses, George Judge George Myers, uh, whose father happens to be the longtime town supervisor in federal court for sexual harassment, uh, considering these allegations made by uh, Tarcio against Judge George Myers Jr. What what are the potential impacts uh, of this lawsuit? Yeah, so she filed this lawsuit um, last week in in federal court, saying uh, that Judge Myers has made repeated inappropriate comments to her at work concerning her physical appearance. Um, asking her to meet with him outside of work, sharing details of his personal romantic life. All of this, you know, made her uncomfortable, as it would. Um, and she, you know, it's not, she, she, she's taken several steps here at, um, at an attempt to try to repair the situation. She initially reported concerns about his behavior to the other town justice, who um, brought that to the town attorney for an investigation. And she filed a complaint with, uh, with the state uh, court systems inspector general, who referred it to the state commission on judicial conduct, which is a panel 
that investigates allegations of judicial misconduct and um, which has the power to to disbar judges. Um, so that that as far as as far as we know, the State Commission on Judicial Conduct investigation uh, is still ongoing. They certainly haven't released any conclusions yet. Um, she uh, she filed as well um, a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and um, served a notice of claim to the town that she intended to file this lawsuit that she filed last week um, and got permission to do that, a right to sue letter from the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division. So, um, you know, for now, he's he's on the bench. Um, you mentioned that his his father uh, was the town supervisor. He was the town supervisor during the whole course of the allegations that are spelled on her lawsuit. But his term expired, or he actually retired um, at the end of last year. So there's now a new town supervisor in. Um, as for what can happen to the judge himself, you know, it depends on on what on if this goes to any kind of uh, trial. Right now, it's been um, assigned to a, a U.S. district judge. She's asking for um, uh, an, punitive, punitive and compensatory damages, including back pay, and um, and uh, a jury trial if it, if it goes to that. So, um, you know, he could be on the hook for um, sexual harassment, having committed sexual harassment, could be on the hook for the damages uh, pursuant to that. And depending what happens with the State Commission on Judicial Conduct, he could be kicked off the bench. Wow. Okay. When when are the next steps in this uh, expected to happen? Um, there's not a court date set yet. I uh, I believe at least as far as um, at least the last time I checked on this, which was yesterday when I edited this story. Right. Um, so so it'll um, take a while. We'll It'll take a while. Yeah. yeah. She, she just filed the suit last week. Okay. And we've got, I guess, just about a minute and a half here to talk about this story that Zoom Flume Water Park in East Durham fined for child labor violations <laughs> um, and involving 15 year old lifeguards. I, I thought at water parks, you know, teenage lifeguards, that's that's a regular thing. Can't, can't they be lifeguards? They can be lifeguards. And that's, that's what the. Um, that's what the U.S. Department of Labor said as well. The issue here, and it's a very technical issue, but, you know, other people wrote about this story and it seemed to be um, getting a lot of notice on social media. And I, and I don't think this distinction was made in prior reporting. So we felt like we needed to do it. Um, so, yes, 15-year-olds can be employed as lifeguards, but they cannot tend to what are called me- mechanically propelled rides. Um because I think you have to be at least 16 in order to operate the mechanical machinery pursuant to or according to uh, federal label law. These 15-year-old lifeguards at Zoom Flume uh, were working on uh, slides that had mechanical pumps. Um, and so, therefore, that ran afoul of, uh, of the federal law. So, they, you know, the... It's it's a pretty minor distinction. Like basically, they had lifeguards in the wrong part of the park, 
Um, and the judge, even though he said that they violated child labor law, hit them with a very minor fine. Um, he fined $1,086 uh, for each of the 35 lifeguards uh, who were 15 who were uh, employed in, in an incorrect way here. Uh, he, the maximum he could have fined is $14,000 per lifeguard. So he only fined 1000 So could have been worse, I guess, for Zoom Flown. And I can guarantee you in the future, they're going to be extremely cognizant of how old the lifeguards are who stand at the top of the slides. Right. And where they put the lifeguards that they employ. Philip, yeah. I want to thank you so much one more time for joining us and going over all the news. And I look forward to talking to you next week, hopefully not about redistricting. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. Thanks. Thank you. And all the stories that we talked about are up at timesunion.com. We're talking to Philip Pantuso, managing editor, Times Union, Hudson Valley Bureau. And that's it for the local edition. The show will be back tomorrow evening at 6. I will not. Patricio Rabai will be your host. But I thank you so much for listening. Do keep listening on air and always streaming, live streaming online at WJFF Radio. Org. We got the daily coming up next, so you want to stay tuned for that. And then, of course, at 7 o'clock, it's Ramble Tamble with John Gordon and Claire. So stay tuned for all of that. This is Radio Catskill, local news, culture, and NPR.